1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Benji, and Benji was in a toxic relationship with a physical abuser. It's a story of jealousy, false arrest, documentation, and self-doubt. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today we have Benji. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well, Brandon. Thank you uh, Thank you for having me on the, the podcast.
1: Well, I really just want to thank you for being here with us today. You're going to share your story and help a lot of people feel less alone. And I know that's why you're here. You want to empower people to uh, make changes, create movement. So a really big thank you for being here with us today. And now, without further ado, Benji, the floor is now yours.
0: Thank you very much. So I'll uh, begin by stating that I am currently uh, 16 months uh, removed and no contact from my ex-wife. Um, so a little background on, on myself and how I grew up, my childhood. I, I was raised on, on the, in the Northeast. Um, I have my, my parents uh, had two, two children, myself and a sister who's two years older. Both of us were adopted. Uh, Through Catholic charities, my parents could not have children. I don't know why. But um, personally, I was adopted at six months old. Uh, I always knew I was adopted. I never felt odd about it. And we grew up in a middle to uh, lower class, blue collar family neighborhood just outside of a major northeast city suburb. And uh, although we didn't have much, um, I had a wonderful childhood. I was raised very Catholic, very religious. Uh, went to Catholic school uh, until high school, when the uh, the, the school that uh, that I was part of actually closed down. I think due to financial issues, but um, yeah, right was you know very very happy childhood. In fact, I tell people all the time, and it's it's a, it's true. It's not even the least bit of an exaggeration. I never saw my parents even have an argument or a disagreement let alone a fight, or raise their voice. I never saw that happen in my life. It occurred to me in my later years when when I became a father how rare and incredible that was. Now, you know, they may have had disagreements behind closed doors, but my sister and I, we never saw that happen. We grew up in a, a very safe, loving family, wanted for nothing, even though we had very little i I grew up in a in a home in a family environment immediate family and larger family. with was really zero issues zero conflict no no fighting no issues so it was um i think very unique in that case uh, i did um I left home when I went to college and um soon thereafter I started a company uh at a young age, in my early 20s, mid-20s, and that, that grew and did very well, and uh, I did, I did quite well, and, but I always wanted, I got, I got to be in, you know, my early 30s, and, you know, I had been in a few long-term relationships in my life, Uh, never was somebody that, you know, dated a lot, I, I enjoyed to be in a single relationship, and You know, probably had five or six of my entire life, including two marriages. Uh, We got married um, probably too soon. My first marriage, we actually eloped, And then very soon after, she got pregnant and we had our first child. Uh, Ultimately, we had three children together. They're very close in age to one another, now in their early 20s and late teens. Uh, But, you know, we, again, we got married too soon. We had some significant differences. We got divorced, um, and I moved out. She stayed in the home for about a year until we sold it. During that period, about a year after, after we got divorced, um, I had three children. The last thing I wanted to do was be divorced with three small children. So it had been a couple of years without any real closeness or companionship. And I was on, an, I was on a flight traveling out on the West Coast. And a young girl walked on the flight, uh, last person to board, actually a little bit late, and it was on Southwest Airlines flight where you can sit wherever you wish, and she happened to sit in the same row as me on the aisle and I was in the window. We chatted a little bit. It was a very short flight, maybe 30 minutes. We exchanged emails, and I explained that I'd come back and forth to the West Coast. I had an apartment out there that I shared with somebody just because I had offices on the West Coast. So I went back and forth a lot. A couple of weeks later, I was back out there, and I sent her an email and I asked if she wanted to have lunch, and we did. Well, that lunch turned into dinner, and then that dinner turned into breakfast. And the next thing you know, we're in a long-term, long-distance relationship, uh, traveling back and forth to the West Coast. She was finishing up uh, a grad school program up in, on the West Coast, so I would visit her. Mostly, I would visit her, but occasionally, she would come to the east coast and we got to know my young children and we did uh you know, did some vacations together spent a lot of time with children and soon immediately after she graduated I flew out west and helped her pack up and she moved permanently to the east coast with me uh, we got an apartment and I was you know getting my feet back on the ground so to speak financially after the divorce and uh, she moved in, and you know, we had the kids every other weekend or so, um, and things progressed fairly normal. Um, you know, looking back, and I we'll get to this a little later, there were a lot of red flags even very early on when I met her, and you know, having the benefit of hindsight now and all the research and you know, counseling, therapy, life coaches, I've. Been utilizing over the last year and a half you know i realized what those signs were back then i i just kind of brushed it off as she's unique we're all unique and don't worry about it but um
1: so what were some of those signs
0: well so for example not long after we met maybe even the first one or two months she started to seem like Almost possessive, she would kind of badger me with phone calls and text messages about where I was and what I was doing. And I also recognized, and she even told me this, that she didn't really have any friends. And she told me that even as a young child, she never really got along or made friends with people her own age. The people in her life that she was friends with when I met her were. Essentially, family members or friends of her mother at the time. She was a she's an only child. She's been she was living with her mother since she was about seven years old. When her parents divorced, when she was six. I should add that, and she told me this very soon after I met her, if not the first few days. When she was six years old, uh, both her parents went to federal prison for a year. Uh, I won't get into why, uh, but she was placed in her paternal grandparents' home who were very poor and did not even speak English. And at prior to that, they were multi, multi millionaires. Homes, yachts, chauffeur driven limousines. And I firmly believe that the trauma of that event when she was six years old caused her to have, you know, significant What do they call it? Cluster B issues. Like, in my opinion, I I trace it back to that. So, um, you know, that she told me about it right away, and when I met her mother for the first time, I knew immediately something was very off. She um, was very controlling, very manipulative. uh, This huge personality. Very. She had. Rebuilt her life and owned a business and was doing quite well. She had money. She showed it off. uh, But she had to be the center of attention. She still controlled uh, my ex-wife at that time even. in our entire relationship, for example, my ex had to call her mother every single day in the early evening every single day. And if she didn't call her mother and they would talk for one to two hours and my wife would basically not even say a word. She would just listen because her mother would control the subject. And if she didn't call her mother, they would immediately be a conflict between them. Her mother would threaten to take her out of the will and it would be a problem. I knew it was odd, but again, you know, I was quite ignorant. I didn't really understand what her issue was. So those are some of the early signs to kind of answer your question.
1: So when you initially met her and the whole courting period before she eventually uh, moves out east with you, uh, what are the things that you like about her? Um, what are the things that you find, I guess, maybe charismatic, uh, about her that are kind of drawing you in and how is she making you feel as far as, um, maybe a shared future? Um, what are the things you guys have in common that really, um, for you becomes, um, A trust building or a love bombing issue where these things are ignored.
0: Sure, sure. So, for starters, I was very starved for companionship and affection in a woman in my life. Again, I'm. Um, I have a very strong value system. I always have. That was instilled in me as a young boy by my parents and my involvement in the church. And I, I would never, you know, cheat it wasn't. Ever anything that i i didn't want to date multiple people ever in my life, and I never did and, uh, I, and I just loved the companionship of somebody close and when I met her, I found her incredibly intelligent. I found her physically beautiful. we could have very long conversations on so many different subjects um, you know, there was no, it didn 't appear to be any ego she she was very open with her experiences. That vulnerable side of her, that made me feel really, really attracted to her. Almost in a, you know, kind of a white knight sense. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be her savior. You know, I want to, I want to make her feel loved. And my love for her was very real. It is very real. So, yeah, I was very attracted to her. We, we loved to travel together. We had. Similar interests and in, you know history and various you know various other topics so it just I just loved her company, I loved being with her. I loved her very much, I just thought she was a very good person at heart, you know so that was is and probably always will be what the attraction was you know I just was blind you know the, I think the love blinds you to what should be some very obvious signs and I go back to what you mentioned when we came back east, 2005, late 2005, 2006, early 2006. It wasn't long thereafter where I was feeling a little bit of pressure, which was coming, I think, from her mother, and then from her to me to marry. And I thought about it, I thought about it, I thought about it. I said, you know what? Why not? Yeah, I. I was recently divorced. It had been two and a half years or so, three years since I was divorced. And I had three small kids. But I really tested myself and thought hard and long about it because I didn't want to make – have another mistake. You know, I don't want to get married and have another divorce. That's for sure. I don't want to make another mistake. And But I did. So I agreed. And, and I proposed. And we got married in – 2007, August of 2007, on the West Coast, her mother threw a very elaborate uh, wedding on a yacht uh, out in the ocean. It was a small group, maybe 100, 80 to 100 people, but you know she spent an enormous amount of money on that wedding, uh, and I really enjoyed it. I brought my parents, I brought my children, uh, I brought the uh, nanny that I had been utilizing when my previous wife and I were together with the children when they were young so that we would have someone to you know, help with the kids. You know, they were young. They were probably, oh, five, seven, nine, six, eight, ten, something like that at the wedding. And a few of my friends, maybe six to eight of my friends came. So I just enjoyed my friends and family. And I've told her this so many times over the years. When... She walked out the door. There was a door on coming off from a you know entryway on the on the yacht uh, with her stepfather at this point now um, walking her down the court unquote aisle I'm standing at the uh, justice of peace you know altar on the on the boat at the, at the bow of the boat and when he when he walked her out and I was looking at her. I was there with my children. My daughter was the, uh, you know, one of the, the ring, girl, or whatever they call it, the flower girl, and my two sons were the ring bearers. I'm never happier in my life at that moment. I, I thought I was so, I felt so blessed, so happy. I had all my friends and family, everybody I loved and cared for. It was literally the happiest day of my life. And I had a picture of her getting walked down that aisle on my phone, uh, you know, screensaver or whatever you call it, or wallpaper. Every day of my relationship, I, it just made me happy. I truly loved her. And I tried to give her everything I possibly could our entire life. And, uh, you know, nothing could ever please her. It just got worse and worse and worse over time. And, you know, so go back to the first couple of years living together in the East Coast after we got married. They were reasonably okay. Two to three years was fairly normal. We did things together. She engaged with my children, even though they weren't around much, you know, every other weekend. My boys would stay at my house in the summers most of the time. I think it just, they just had more fun at dad's, you know, dad let them do whatever they want. I guess that's probably the reason. But, um, now they weren't around a lot. But what happened was now, I know in hindsight, she became extremely envious and to the point where she started and it started with my daughter, my middle child, hated my children. And it was because I think that she, she wasn't the primary focus of my attention. And I would tell her all the time, you know, look, I love you unconditionally just like I love them unconditionally. But, you know, I love you all. I have obligation as a father and work. And you know, she would withdraw and seem depressed and and say nasty things about the kids. And I just didn't understand it. I just tried harder to make her happy until finally in 2012, well, in 2010, she, this is three years now after we've been married, she started cutting herself in front of me on a regular basis. She would just be in the bedroom, the kitchen, the living room, doing whatever, and for no reason whatsoever, would suddenly leap up, grab the nearest sharp object, and start cutting her arm. She's right-handed, so it would always be her left arm. And, of course, I would jump up and run and grab it away and stop it. And this went on for two years where maybe once a week, every other week, maybe once a month, but, you know, I'd say 20 to 30 times she did this right in front of me, always right in front of me for a two-year period. It got to the point where I spent every moment in that home scanning every room we were in so I knew where the sharpest object was, whether it was tweezers or scissors or whatever, and either hide them or be prepared to get to them first should she suddenly leap up and, and do that. You, know, you talk about a red flag, and yet I did nothing. I did
1: nothing. What are you thinking to yourself during this time? Do you tell anyone what's going on, or are you just like you don't want anyone to know your business?
0: So up until the very end of our marriage, and including far more bizarre and crazy behaviors than this cutting. I never told a single soul, not my best friends in the world, not my family, nobody. I never told anybody until one event just a few months before our final day together. uh, She had a bizarre uh, episode. I can go into a little bit detail later. And uh, her mother called me and I pleaded with her mother. Because at this point, her behavior has gotten insane. I pleaded with her mother, please insist that she get some help. And her mother started screaming at me that I was the problem. To the point where I said to her, if you keep yelling at me, I'm going to have to hang up on you. That would be rude, and I don't want to do it. And she continued to scream at me that I better not hang up on her. Yes, I will talk to her. But I, I had to. I hung up on her and I sent her a text message that I apologized for hanging up on you, but I won't be spoken to her like that. So, but I never told the song. I hid it. Uh, as far as everybody knew, we were a happy couple, two professionals, three children, first-step children, and life was great under our roof. But, it, it, you know, and there were times when it was. Uh, Whenever we were alone together, we went on a vacation, we traveled, and we focused on her, she was the same person I met. We had wonderful times together. But whenever I wasn't focused on her, things could get really ugly. We'll go back to 2012. It's 2010 to 2012. The cutting was happening. Really crazy behavior, which is causing me to withdraw, right? You know, so I was... On a business trip on the West Coast. And as any couple normally do, you know, you're communicating. Everything's fine. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I was on my way home. I was at the airport, I was in, at the gate in the line the aircraft was about to board. So I, I called her to tell her, this was April of 2012, I called her to tell her that I'm on time and I'm boarding the flight. And she proceeded to tell me that when I arrived home, i was going to arrive to an empty home she's taken she has taken whatever she wanted in terms of you know furniture you know possessions things like dishware all that kind of stuff and, and i was stunned i couldn't believe it there i am standing at the gate listening to this like, i was saying why like what are you doing i, I is there somebody else? She said, no. Like, then, what are you doing? There was no explanation. I, I was standing in public in the line at the gate, sobbing on herself. I uh, was in complete shock. But I also told her on that first phone call, can I fight for you? And I think that's what she wanted to hear because you know, months later, or well, not even months, weeks later, she referred to my statement when I said that. It was my instinctive statement. After I asked her if there was somebody else, she said, no. And I, I said, can I fight for you? Uh, and, you know, she was kind of speechless. But I did go home. The house was empty. I couldn't believe it. I mean, not empty, but she had left. didn't take much. But, uh, within a few days, she was coming back to the house. She moved in with a friend to her apartment for a little while. But within a few days, she was coming back to the house and spending the night. Because I gave her all my attention. And within a month, she'd moved back in. And I I abandoned everything else in my life. And I focused all my attention on her. I doted on her morning, noon, and night. And I'd never seen her happier in my life than after she came back into that house. Because I gave her all that attention. But, you know, life is, has done other obligations. And eventually, I had to spend more and more time with my children my friends my hobby so whenever i would do that she started to slip back into what seemed to me to be depression and was and despise my children and then her hatred for my daughter was first for no particular reason and she started going on these rants on a regular basis about you know i can't repeat the words and the names she would call my daughter. And she would accuse my daughter of things like stealing money from her purse or stealing a medication that she had or just bizarre accusations. And I started to believe her. Like, this is where, like, I, never, I, don't, I never knew what narcissism meant. I never knew what a narcissist was. I never knew what the term gaslighting meant. But looking back, you know, she had, she gaslit me into believing that Maybe my daughter is bad, maybe there's something wrong with her and then this so this this kind of behavior gets worse and worse and worse up until late two thousand and eighteen so
1: before we so before we get to two thousand and eighteen, yeah. you are going back and forth from um doing your best to please your ex and then being uh a dad are your children noticing anything is anyone noticing that like you are in a sense burning a candle of both ends as far as trying to please everybody and do you notice that um know within this process that you're becoming a changed person like what are the changes within you that are happening and uh, I guess are these things like because you you said that your ex is getting depressed and things along those lines but what's going on with you internally like are you even aware that you have feelings in that sense yeah so
0: again in hindsight yeah, I I was numb. You know, I was exhausted just trying to. I wanted to be a family together. We wanted to enjoy times together. And everything I tried to do to make her engage my children and engage being a step-mom and enjoy times together, five of us, she would stop. For example, I, one of my best friends, his family, and he lived in Ireland for a long time, not far from where my family's from now. And we would go to Ireland together on a regular basis. Well, I took the entire family, including her, for his parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Huge group of friends and family. So the three kids and her and I, we, we went. And for, for me, this was going to be the trip of a life. You know, I want to make a memory with everybody I care and love about, love in this world. And... She completely sabotaged. Every day, every minute, she would start problems, start fights over the silliest, who's sitting where in the car. It was brutal. It was brutal. And, you know, at that same time, my father, who was living in a guest house at our property, the reason I bought this house that we were in right now is my mom and dad lived in a guest house 20 yards away from our house and I could care for him. He had Parkinson's and he, was, he got cancer and he was dying. And I took care of him for yeah, seven, eight years there, but the last two were pretty rough. It was so bad that I started self medicating myself. Not only with just that, not only with alcohol every night, but he had been prescribed lots of pain meds, but he didn't like them because they made him nauseous. So I I started taking them um, until I realized when I stopped that I had gotten addicted because I got withdrawal. Syndrome. So yeah, I I was. I was just beat up to point. You know, I, I couldn't. And I'm seeing my kids less and less. I didn't realize it at the time. But they've since told me, particularly my oldest son, that, you know, they saw what she was doing to me. They saw her behave. I thought I had hit it from everybody. My friends have said the same thing. That they all knew something was going on really in the last couple of years, twenty. Nineteen and 2020. Um, Yeah, everybody sucked. Everybody knew something about it. I'm the only one that thought that nobody, I thought I had it well hidden, but even my
1: coworkers, you know. So eventually you and your partner move into a new home.
0: So we moved and right after we moved, I had it was December. It was like two weeks before Christmas. I recall we moved, and I had to quickly go overseas for about three days to hire uh, an office manager and the and uh, my team for that for that location. While I was there, she had a her annual review, and during her annual review, she got fired. She thought she was going to get a large bonus, but she actually got terminated. Come to find out, I know now it was because she was fighting with her uh, coworkers. But so that was okay because. You know, we had downsized, we had cut our expenses significantly, and, um, you yeah, know, we didn't really, we didn't need her income. You so don't want to lose it, but we didn't need it. Anyway, so that was so really basically January 2019, the exact same time I started going back and forth overseas. She loses her job, and I started to notice incredible behavior changes when I would get home it became evident to me that something weird was going on. Well, in hindsight, I know now that she began taking Adderall and uh, to the point where I would see her even crushing and snorting the pills. And this is when her rage and violence became incredible. Every single afternoon when, I again, I know now through counseling and therapy and research, when her med crash would come, she would just... Transition into this raging monster, where she would follow me around the house from room to room, screaming and yelling and badmouthing me and my children and my friends, and sometimes for hours, and be physical. The random hit, punch, throw something at me. So I started audio recording these with her knowledge, and she didn't care, but the audio recording stopped the physical violence. Well, this went on for 18 months, and I had dozens and dozens of these recordings, and thank God I did because they got awful. Uh, Often I, I know, like, for one, it's 45 minutes long, and I counted, and my lawyers counted. <laughs> 130 times I asked her to leave me alone, and she followed me around the house screaming in 45 minutes, and she just wouldn't do it. So I'd have to go outside with the dogs, and You know, anything to escape her until she passed out. And then, ultimately, during one of these raging events, she, I'm an avid hunter. And she said to me, quote, unquote, I'm going to the gun safe. And it shocked the hell out of me. I called her out on it. I begged her to walk it back to tell me what she meant, that she crossed a very serious line. I can't ignore it. You know, she didn't do a good job of doing that. And once that genie's out of the bottle, you can't put it back in anyways. And I just couldn't believe she made that threat. So the next morning, now at this point, I had been, we have a hunting property, 100-acre camp, about four hours north of the Marrow home for the off-grid camp. I had been living there four to five days a week for eight months at this point just to escape her abuse because it was every day. And she would beg me to come home, apologize, tell me she's hurt and lonely. I would cave in because I loved her. And the moment I got home, sometimes within an hour, she would flip and start the raging abuse and be physical. That went on for eight months, and I'd leave again. That day I left after the the, the gun safe threat, and I told her that morning, I'm not coming back until you see a therapist, until you get help. This has gone on too long. I had managed to hang on for about 12 days up, up north. Finally, I caved in. She told me she tested positive for COVID and she needs help and she's sick. And I came. I came home. Well, sure enough, that yeah, I got home in the late afternoon. That very next afternoon, about 24 hours later, I had fallen asleep on the couch. She had passed out around 7 p.m. up in the bed. And I woke up at 2.30 in the morning to her on top of me, physically pounding me in the head on the couch. I woke up at 6.30 a.m. as I had fallen back to sleep finally after four hours of her, you know, continually attacking me. I woke up. I walked around the ground floor, and I found her in the home office. I walked in. She was calmly sitting there on the, on the phone in the chair, and I realized she was on the call. She had called 911. Because I had said to her that evening, if you do this one more time, I'm going to call the police. And she knew I had all the recordings. So what did she do? She called the police and told them that I assaulted her. I was stunned. I couldn't believe she had done it. And I, I walked out of the office. I sat on the stairs just outside the office. And I said to her over and over and over again. Please don't do this. You're making a big mistake. Please don't do this. You're making a big mistake. In fact, the 911 call, I'm in the background, once again, sobbing uncontrollably, saying that. In fact, it worked to my advantage. But long story short, they came. They arrested me. And that was uh, late February 21, and I have never had contact with her in any way, shape, or form again. And very soon after I was out of the house, she went on this incredible smear campaign, contacting my friends and family, making up these crazy allegations, even contradicting her own police statements, which were false. Um, and then she lost her mind, ultimately arrested twice by the police and institutionalized in a psychiatric hospital, once for three days, once for 30 days uh, for violent acts. Um, I won't go into the details of them, but crazy, crazy violent action. But, um, yeah, and now I sit here 16 months later. She's broken all contact with every single person in her life, mother, stepfather, friends, family, everybody. Uh, But she spent the better part of a year trying to maintain these lies of like, who I was or what I was and it just it stunned me. I couldn't believe the level of betrayal I was
1: experiencing.
0: I never put my hands on anybody in my life. It was exactly the opposite.
1: And what happened to the charges?
0: Uh they all got dropped. Um the entire record of null. Would have happened sooner Had I, had there not been COVID and the courts basically shut down for the most of this period. But uh, my recordings and all of our mutual friends came out with written, sworn, notarized statements as witnesses in defense of me. We we scheduled a deposition, court stenographer's and attorney's came. She blew it off. She violated every one of the judge's temporary orders. Even the, the judge and the prosecutors even realized she was lying. Uh, and then ultimately they dropped the charges and, you know, I just accepted the final decree and we've gone our separate ways. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to just try to rebuild my life right now. And the hard part is there's hardly an hour in, in any day that I don't miss her and still love her, as sick as she is. It's, um, that's the brutal irony of it. As bad as they have you, to, you just – at least in my case, I did love it. I mean, you, you have to love somebody to put up with so much, right? So it's been a a very difficult process trying to overcome it all and the, the trauma bonding, and which is what's led me to your site and many other groups who have gone through this experience. It's, um, it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't gone through it just how difficult it is to overcome trust issues for example uh when somebody is 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 supposed to be the one person that you can always turn to that will always be there for you no matter what you can trust with every thought or feeling or emotion turns on you betrays you and then smears you for a year it defames you and lies about you for over a year it's there's a certain nerve that that touches inside you that um, I don't think most people would even remotely understand, you know?
1: So how are you doing now? What has been your healing process? And what's your relationship like with your children?
0: Yeah, so the good thing that's come out of all this is all of my friends and family back in my life. It's been, like I said, 16 months. Um, I've been, I permanently live at my camp property, which is where I am now. And I was shocked by the level of support that the people in my life showed me. It was humbling. She had actually forced me to call certain mutual friends. In fact, one couple that she introduced me that I became very good friends with. She forced me to call them and say, I can never speak or talk to you again, which I did. In fact, in, I, in hindsight, I can't believe I did it, but I did it because she wouldn't stop badgering me to do it. She tracked everybody I called, everybody I texted, everybody I emailed. She read everything. In fact, once, once I changed the uh, password to my Sprint account, and <laughs> she got so furious and she couldn't track me anymore, I put it right back so she could. I had nothing to hide, nothing. I let her track me. But uh, they all came back and the level of support that they showed my children in particular, they, they all said the same thing, right? My old, my oldest, two, my youngest, fortunately I had isolated him from her. Um, I'd stopped letting him be around her a long time before it got really bad. And, but both my older two son and daughter did the exact same thing. You know, we're just happy. We can all be together. for You dad. And we're just happy that, You can be happy and get on with your life, you know. Because I was apologetic to them, I felt very guilty for the degree that I had stopped spending time with them, and they wouldn't let me apologize. You know what I'm saying? They 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 got it, and it was my oldest son. He told me all this. He said she never apologizes for anything. She does this, 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 this. He explained these things to me. That's how good the kids were about it. So. Yeah, the healing process, and I'm enjoying my hobbies again. I do what I like to do again. I spend a lot of time with my friends and family. I'm just not ready for any intimacy. I'm not. I just, I don't know what I'm going to be, but I have no desire. Um, So, you know, I got a ways to go, but I've certainly come along wrong way, learning and understanding all of these sort of behaviors and mental health issues has really helped me forgive her. Uh, I had spent a good several years truly questioning if I was the bad guy. But she had me believing that there was something wrong with me. She really did. Now I realize that, you know, no. It's not me, it's her. So it's a long process, and I've come a long way. I'd say, you know, i got a ways to go, but um, I'm getting it. And, and talking it out, And I don't like to burden my friends with any of the details. That's not why they want to be here. That's not why they want, you know, it's not their responsibility to hear me constantly talk about the hurt, the pain that I feel from it. Um, but a forum like this, and the therapists and my life coach, you know, the more and more I talk this out and understand what happened to her, and understand that these conditions are real and, and not—you know—they're common to a certain extent. Um, and the experiences of other people, for example, that have been on your show and other websites or podcasts that I've listened to, it stuns me the extent that these individuals have a playbook and how they're all so similar it's it's, it's truly amazing to me they, they all do the exact same thing so that that's really helped it, it's helped me normalize it again because i was so confused i i had no idea what any of this stuff was the whole time i was with her i had i just thought oh she's oh she's like this because she lost her job so it's been very important to the healing is to, to talk it out and to you know, again, engage uh, groups like yours. It it really, really has helped. And I've enjoyed listening to other people's stories. And In some bizarre way, as much as I feel empathy for them, it's it's comforting to know that, you know, others have been through this. And also, the last point I'll make is, there was a way to make people more aware of all these signs before it's too late, because I think in most of our cases, you know, certainly, in my case, we learn the the, the facts about these conditions, is these, these you know narcissism, borderline, and all that after the fact, right? Um, we we come to places like your site, trying to learn, trying to understand, trying to process it. And the reason I wanted to speak to you finally was because. My thought, since this happened to me, has been along: how, what can I do to help? Others?
1: So, so if you had any words of wisdom for everyone listening, what would it be?
0: Learn the signs of these behavioral disorders, and if you see them, deal with them one way or another. I think everybody's. Don't ignore it, like I did. You're not going to change them. you're not going to love them into change. they don't change. They'd say simply don't. So either you know document it, understand the laws where you live. There are many places where it's a felony to record somebody, either video or audio, that, again without their knowledge, So make sure you tell them that you are, uh, learn those, but document it. Document document document, and if you get out, don't don't hesitate to get out, talk to people, don't hide it. Um, if they won't go get help with you, just get out, get away until it changes if, if it will change you're not going to change their behavior. they do not change their behavior. There's nothing you or anybody else can do. They will not stop.
1: Well, thank you, Benji, for being here with us today and sharing your story. You're going to help a lot of people. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much.
0: Oh, my pleasure, Brandon, and thanks for having me. And thanks for uh, everybody for listening.
1: And for those of you that want to be a guest on our show like Benji was today, please do go to our website at Narcissist Apocalypse dot com top of the page. There's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page where we have all of these instructions. Please read all of our instructions and either send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And also at our website, we have our very own Safe Social Network. So at the top of the page at NarcissistApocalypse.com, there's a button that says Support Group. If you click on that button, it takes you to our network where you'll find our forum boards where you can get support from our members. You will have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have episodes that have zero ads so if you want to hear zero ads join our support group and if you just want to support our show just join our support group it helps us out a lot as this is all done on a very shoestring budget and if you need even more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And at DomesticShelters.org, you can find articles and resources that can help you. It's all free. You have you can get the names of shelters on there. You can get a lot of different contacts to help you in the aftermath or, or during your abuse. Uh, so if you need even more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And that is it for our show. So from myself and Benji, we hope... You have a good night.